there's no denying that being in love can get intense. Passion can run real deep for some people. So what happens if that love gets compromised? A healthy person finds a safe outlet for their anger. But then there are the people on this countdown. When something stood in the way of their love being perfect, their frustration turned fatal. And when we get to number one, it's going to be a tough road for all our emotions. Because this jilted wife may be in the right to feel betrayed, but maybe murder was the wrong way to go. you weirdos welcome to crime countdown a spotify original from parcast i'm ash and i'm elena every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes all picked by the parcast research god this episode we're counting down the top 10 crimes for love so i haven't done a whole lot of crazy things for love like i tried to think about it and i was like huh I really haven't. I don't know what that says about me, but I haven't. No, I feel that. I feel like love in and of itself is pretty crazy, but like, at least in a good way, at least in my like most recent experience. Yeah. And I think the craziest thing I've ever done when I was really thinking about it was way back when John and I first started dating. And I think I was like, what, 20? And I got um, very angry at a girl in a bar for reaching across the table and touching John's face right next to me. And that's the PG story. And you know what? (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) Daggers at you. It's That's chaotic. It it was pretty chaotic. The chaotic in me sees the chaotic in you. (laughs) Because although I, I really haven't done anything crazy for like real love, I've done a lot of crazy for people that I was not in love with, like teenage <laughs> love, like driving in a crazy blizzard just to hang out with like some stupid guy when I was a freshman in college yep. um, or the time that I lied to my entire family so that I could go to the club with my mans in high school <laughs> that I was not supposed to be dating because I was in high school and he was not. Uh, I remember that fondly. Yeah, but I think I think that's how I know that I'm like truly in love with my fiance, Drew, because I don't really have to do anything crazy. It's just like easy breezy, beautiful. Exactly. Relationship. Just love. Love. (laughs) Relationship. Love. But honestly, you know what? Even all that stuff that you just said is very small potatoes compared to the number one on this list. I hope. Uh, Love may not be the word to use to describe that particular case, but it's definitely blamed on that anyways. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I would hope that me driving in a blizzard wouldn't compare to your number one. Yeah, no. I'm glad. Well, Elena has five crimes for love and so do I, but neither of us know what the other is bringing to the countdown. Let's start the countdown. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? 
Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 10. I'll start us off with number 10, the murder of French newspaper editor Gaston Calmette. I don't know how you would say, keep my man's name out of your mouth in (laughs) French, but in the early 1900s, we found a French woman who didn't need to say it. She acted on it. When her husband's dirty laundry was being made public, she took things to the extreme to stop the gossip. I'm already so invested in this, I can't even tell you. So far, I'm in her corner, like, in the very beginning of this, but, you know, like, it does get a little cray-cray. Oh, thank you for warning me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I just have a question for you. Have you ever had to, like, stop town gossip about John? Um, Or any significant other in the past? No, because I was uh, not born in the 1800s or the early 1900s, so... Okay, well... No, that was never a problem for me. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that, because same these, but... On March 16th, 1914, how'd you know? There you go. At 6 p.m., Henriette Caillot walked into the office of Gaston Calmet, who was the editor of the daily French newspaper Le Figaro. Ooh. She was wearing a fur coat over a gown, and her hands at first were hidden inside a fur muff. So Gaston had, like, no clue what this lady was about to do. Henriette asked, You know why I have come? And Gaston was literally like, Literally, no. I have <laughs> literally. No idea. Literally, no. In 1914, Gaston said, legit, nah. (laughs) Nah. Well, then Henriette pulls out a gun and fires six shots at Gaston. He falls to the floor, clutching his abdomen. He didn't know what she was there for. He did not, but now he did. Maybe. (laughs) So the newspaper employees run into the office to see what's going on, and they grabbed Henriette, who yelled, do not touch me, I am a woman. (laughs) But in French, so it sounded less Karen and more dignified. Of course. So what had happened was Gaston had been printing politically scandalous and like personally embarrassing details about Henriette's husband, Joseph, who was a former prime minister. Wow, she's a ride or die. She is legit. Like you look up ride or die in whatever dictionary that's in and her face is right there. She's not where are we riding and why do I have to die? She's just ride or die. She's there. Wow. She's your girl. Wow. So Gaston is obviously taken to the hospital like ASAP and he said... I only did my duty, and he later died at the hospital. Whoa. So Gaston had printed things about Joseph that dealt with, like, private sexual matters, including about a certain mistress who Joseph had replaced with Henriette. And since Gaston promised more salacious stories on Joseph, Henriette was worried that it would be about her private life and things that she didn't want to be made public, like adultery. Ooh, that little thing. So she killed Gaston. Obviously. Yeah, just... The, the Zero logical, to 100. Yeah, the logical solution there. Now, the crime of passion defense was a strong one during this time. It said someone could be consumed by a, quote, momentary fit of passion and uncontrollable emotions. And that worked out for Henriette because she was acquitted. Oh, my goodness. Like, she dressed for the occasion. She fired six shots into a man and then was like, don't touch me. I'm a lady. And then she was like, guys, I was just real mad. It's fine. And they were like, oh, okay. I had uncontrollable emotions. And they were like, okay, I get it. Me too. I was just mad. You know, it happens. Nine. 
Number nine on our countdown is Cynthia Kaufman and James Marlowe. These two lovebirds met back in 1986 after James shared a jail cell with Cynthia's then-boyfriend Doug. During their stay, Doug bragged so much about Cynthia that when James got out, he pretty much stole her away from Doug. You know, a classic love story. Boy meets girl and I, yeah. prison and roommates love. Didn't Nicholas Sparks write a novel about this? I'm pretty sure. Yes, I Absolutely. read that one a couple weeks yeah, ago. It's a, it's a movie, I'm sure of it. <laughs> so James and Cynthia hooked up. And by late July 1986, just weeks after meeting, James and Cynthia got married in Tennessee. Romance. They love each other, guys. These two weren't the most well-behaved. James even nicknamed her Sinful. Love that. And then he branded Cynthia, and it was like sinful, like C-Y-N full. Yeah, like a play Cynthia. on words. Yeah, just making sure, just making sure you got it. You need to you need to see the poetry here. I'm glad you did. And then he branded Cynthia with a tattoo on her butt that said property of the Folsom Wolf. And that was his nickname. Oh. <laughs> so like cool if she's a consenting adult. Yeah. Like cool for her. Uh, uh very regrettable tattoo. And not even one that you could get lasered off if you wanted to. Nope. And that's going to be a problem for later, I feel. Yeah, always. Yeah, always. So to help prove even more how bonkers they were, there was a time when James threatened Cynthia with scissors. He gave her the option of losing an eye or her hair. What? Yeah. So that makes me feel like the branding was not Exactly. Exactly. Now cut to Cynthia explaining her baldness by saying she had chiggers aka little bugs or mites. Now it gets even darker. James and Cynthia met in the spring, they married by summer, and by fall of 86, they turned into killers. Okay, quick progression there. Very, very quick progression. In November 1986, Cynthia and James tricked 20-year-old Karina Novis into giving them a ride on a Friday night. On Monday, she didn't show up for work. Oh. Karina's driver's license and blank checks were later found in the trash of a fast food restaurant, along with documents that had Cynthia and James's names on them. Smart move, guys. I mean, like, that's really dumb, but I'm glad that they were really dumb. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, thankful that you are dumb. Five days after they kidnapped and murdered Karina, the couple then killed a 19-year-old woman in a hotel. So they're monsters. Yeah. Cynthia and James made another smart move and paid for that hotel room with their own credit cards and left their clothing behind. Why? Why did they leave their clothing behind? I was going to ask. Because they assumed the police would have their descriptions, so they changed into swimsuits and sunglasses in Big Bear, California, where the temperature was about 40 degrees. This is literally, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. It literally is. That's exactly what that is. The embodiment of don't be suspicious. It really, like, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And you're going to be freezing, which, like, I hope you are because you're a horrible, horrible, deplorable human. Well, they did stick out like sore thumbs because police, of course, spotted them and the two eventually surrendered. Okay. Cynthia gave police all the information they needed, including the location of Karina Novus's body, and Cynthia Kaufman and James Marlowe were sentenced to death in San Bernardino, California. Wow. What a whirlwind romance that is. If you could even say romance. You can't. Eight.
Number eight on our countdown of the top 10 crimes for love is Gwendolyn Graham and Catherine Wood. We've talked about these two before on the show, so you know you have to be awful to show up on more than one countdown. Gwendolyn and Catherine were known as the Lethal Lovers and the Alpine Manor Serial Killers. They killed five women at a Michigan nursing home in 1987 and even made a game of it. These two are horrible. They really are. Both were in their 20s at the time, and the way it played out with these young lovers was that Catherine served as a lookout while Gwendolyn handled the actual murders. And their victims were women, ages 60 to 98. 98. Not only that, but these women were people who suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's. Ugh. Like, you are you a can't get monster. Lower. You can't get lower than these two. You can't. So while Catherine kept watch, Gwendolyn would go into the victims' rooms and smother them with washcloths. Ugh. Catherine said they killed the women, quote-unquote, for fun and because of a, quote, love bond. What? Ridiculous. Like, there are a lot of other things that you can do for fun There's with your love bond. Anything else you can do for fun. Do everything else, actually. Make dinner together. Right. Try a HelloFresh. Sit in a room and stare at each other. Take it's up better knitting. Than this. <laughs> yeah, anything. It's also been reported that they made a game out of it. They would choose their victims by their last names using the initials to spell out the word murder. That's come, like, stop. It's also, it's just like gimmicky and like ridiculous to to tie that into like actually taking people's lives is disgusting. It's believed that Catherine was the one who thought up the whole plan as a romantic gesture to keep Gwendolyn after she learned that she was interested in another woman and might lose her. So she was like, you know what I think might keep us together and bonded is if we um, kill the people that we're supposed to be taking care of. That's a bold strategy. Yeah. It really is. You don't see people go for that strategy much. It's also so scary that the other one was like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Yeah, actually, that's exactly what I want to do. I'm so glad that you figured it out. Like when two... When two people that evil come into one, it's so scary. It always blows my mind that people will come together and be like, hey, it's going to be weird for me to say, but like, have you ever wanted to like actually murder someone? And someone's like, oh my God, yes, Yes. I have. Like, it's wild to me that that happens. It's terrifying. It's what nightmares are made of. So we told you that they killed five victims, but authorities think that it could be as many as 12. Gwendolyn received a life sentence without the possibility of parole, and Catherine pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and conspiracy and was sentenced to prison for 20 to 40 years. For years, a parole board refused to even release Catherine Wood, denying her eight times. But in October of 2019, she was finally granted release. No. She better stay far away from the elderly community. That's all I've got to say. At number seven this week is the murder of Philip Barton Key. We all probably learned about Francis Scott Key in school, the guy who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Oh yeah, him. Yeah, you know him. But I'm not sure many have studied his only son, Philip Barton Key II. In 1857, Barton, as he was called, had an affair with the wife of his friend, U.S. Congressman Daniel Sickles. Don't do that. 
I bet you can guess this doesn't end well. I, I did have a bit of a gut yeah. feeling. It's not going to end with like, and then they just shook hands and that was the end. I mean, they're on this list. Yeah, exactly. Now, Barton was allegedly described as, quote, the handsomest man in all of Washington society. Ooh. So hot right now. So hot right now. In 1857, the handsomest Barton was at an inaugural ball for the new U.S. president, James Buchanan. And it's there he met a young woman, Teresa, and the two fell in love. Okay, I love it so far. There was only one tiny problem. Teresa was married to Barton's friend, the U.S. congressman from New York, Daniel Sickles. I thought you mentioned that. Yep, yep. When I say tiny problem, I mean like a pretty massive problem. Big problem. But you can't stop new love, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Barton and Teresa began a torrid affair, doing the deed wherever they needed to, from rented apartments to cemeteries. Okay. Yeah, there's something for everyone. One witness even watched Teresa leave a costume ball dressed like Little Red Riding Hood. She sneaked into a carriage with Barton and had the driver just drive around Washington. That's like whimsical, but yeah, very, don't, very, very don't like cheat. you could see this in like a movie with like this lots of like mu- very like intense string music playing as this is all happening. Yes, but, but no. They were so brazen about it, the affair became the hot goss around town for the next couple of years. So, so far, this is just kind of funny. Yeah. But then we get to February 1859. Barton is walking around Lafayette Square waiting for Teresa, as he often would. Guess who showed up instead? Her man's. Her husband, Daniel. Daniel had been told about the affair from an anonymous letter saying Barton, quote, has as much the use of your wife as you have. Wow. Yikes! That's a nice way to be described as a lady. Wow, she's a human, guys, but okay. After that, Teresa confessed, and Daniel was out for blood. The sad thing about this is that, like, back then, people weren't marrying necessarily all the time for love. love. So it's like, while cheating is, like, not a great thing to do, I feel like it was so different back then. Yeah, because you would actually find the person that you love. Yeah. And then you just had to have this torrid affair all over the place dressed as Red Riding Hood. And it's like, I'm rooting for you. (laughs) I'm rooting for you, but don't kill people. No. So Daniel headed, after Teresa confessed, Daniel headed to Lafayette Square armed with several guns. Why so many? He shot Barton three times, once in the hand, once near his groin, and the third shot at point-blank range hit Barton just below the heart. Oh my god. The gosh. death shot. Yeah. Daniel Sickles went to trial, and after three weeks of a trial and a 70-minute jury deliberation, Daniel walked free and got to remain in Congress. You know, I would love to be shocked by that information, but I'm not. Yeah. You, who who knows? Maybe you'll be shocked by this. Teresa was pretty estranged from her husband after this. Yeah. yeah. Until her death from tuberculosis in 1867. Six. Landing at number six is... Former NFL quarterback Steve McNair. Steve played most notably for the Tennessee Titans and was considered a really nice guy by many who knew him. But there was also another side to Steve, a side that led him down a path of infidelity. And that's what brought Sahel Kazani into his life. Their affair ultimately led to his death in 2009. 
As I mentioned, Steve was considered a stand-up dude. He established the Steve McNair Foundation to support youth charities, and in 1999, he began hosting youth football camps multiple times a year in Nashville and Mississippi. But Steve also had a condo that he rented, specifically to stay away from his family and have affairs. Not, not cool. Yeah, not awesome. <laughs> Were you going to say the same thing? I was going to say not awesome. <laughs> not cool, not awesome, none of the above. No. He apparently had several mistresses at one time. Woof. This included an affair with a woman named Leah that was happening at the same time as his affair with Sahel Kazemi. Police believed that Sahel found out about Leah and that it did not sit well with her, obviously. Steve's actions towards Sahel could certainly be seen as him making her feel special, for lack of a better word. Her neighbor said that Steve pampered her. He would sometimes send her home in a limousine and he even gifted her a new car. Ooh, love bombing. Love bombing, right there. But their relationship also concerned one of her exes. He was especially worried about her dating a married man, and he said, quote, he was making her believe they were going to be together and everything would be perfect. Never happened. Tale as old as time. Sahel's neighbors, who mentioned all the pampering, also talked about hearing them argue, so it wasn't all roses. And on July 2nd, 2009, two nights before both of their deaths, Sahel was arrested for a DUI in that new car that he had gifted her. Steve was apparently in the car too. That same night, Steve allegedly spent the night with Leah. Eek. In July 4th, 2009, around 1 p.m., Steve's friend who rented the condo with him came home and discovered the bodies of both Steve and Sahel. Sahel had shot and killed Steve before turning the gun on herself. He was 36 and she was only 20. Oh, that is tragic in every way it can be. It really is. Love might be a loose term that we're using. Here. Yeah, it's like what people think. It's infatuation. infatuation. Exactly. Look Jinx, at us. Owe me a soda. I, but like, do I? Yeah, you do. Because <laughs> you love me. Or am I just infatuated? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, I I have some doozies coming up. I have a couple that I'm waiting for that I just like, I know they have to be on this list. I know exactly which one you're probably waiting I for. I think you do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have it. Okay, I hope it comes like soon because I'm ready for it. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of Crimes for Love. 
Starting off the second half of our list is former NASA astronaut turned revengeful lover Lisa Nowak. I was waiting for this This is the one. one I knew you were waiting for. Lisa was a flight officer in the United States Navy and had an amazing career as an astronaut. Like, no big deal. Yeah, for real. <laughs> she went to space and operated a robotic arm for spacewalks. Like, not everybody does that. Mm -mm. But her love life, not as illustrious. On February 5th, 2007, her professional headlines would get way overshadowed by her jealous revenge. That day, Lisa drove 900 miles from Houston, Texas to Orlando, Florida. In her car, she had a trench coat, black wig, pepper spray, a BB gun, rope, trash bags, and an 8-inch knife. Yeah. So, uh, she had a plan. Just road trip <laughs> things. Yeah, just road trip things. I don't see a lot of snacks in there, but you know what? We'll see. She also wore a diaper, so she didn't have to make any stops. Mm, mm -mm. Lisa. No. No. So gross. So no. so many things can go so wrong. So many things. The reason for all of this, which I'm sure you're like, what now? Like, why is she doing this? <laughs> There's a reason for all this in her mind. Uh, the reason for this was made clear when she arrived at the Orlando International Airport. She put on her wig and trench coat and walked up to Colleen Shipman's car, the woman who was now dating her ex-boyfriend, Bill. He was also an astronaut. Flex. Yeah, squad. Lisa got to Colleen's car, got her to roll her window down, and then she pepper sprayed Colleen. Colleen got away. Even though she got pepper sprayed, she was pretty much unharmed. Police arrested Lisa on attempted murder and kidnapping charges. The whole ordeal was dubbed the astronaut love triangle. That which, like, really sucks for everyone involved. Who knew that was ever going to be something in the zeitgeist? The astronaut Honestly, love triangle. Like, not what we want to go for. I was like, guys, I thought you were above this. You're astronauts. The publicist were... at NASA is like, you know, we actually <laughs> yeah. strive really hard to we avoid really this. Don't. I thought you were figuratively and literally above all of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lisa's life then continues to fall apart. In 2008, she got divorced. She pleaded guilty in 2009 to reduce charges, including misdemeanor battery. She was given a year of probation. And in 2010, she received an other than honorable discharge from the Navy. Meanwhile, Colleen and Bill's relationship thrived. They eventually got married in 2010 and moved to Alaska, most likely because of all the unwanted and really embarrassing media attention. Yeah, that does stink. But I'm glad they're happy. I'm glad they're happy, and I hope that Lisa kind of like got it together. Yeah, Lisa, just move on, man. Exactly. Four. Landing at number four this week is the murder of Heather Strong. Heather's mother has said that this is not a story about a love triangle like it's been portrayed. She said it's about Heather's estranged husband trying to make a financial grab to benefit him and his new fiance, using his own children as pawns, and sadly, killing Heather in the process. Well, that's terrible. It is. Heather's mother, Carolyn, says when Heather began dating Joshua Fulgham, he was a violent man and she wouldn't leave him. It's really sad that we hear about this so yeah, often. This is a, this begins a lot of really tragic stories. It definitely does. But by November of 2008, Heather and Joshua's relationship finally seemed to be over when Joshua got engaged to another woman, Amelia Carr. But the next month, he married Heather. Huh. Confusing. That's yeah. not how that works. 
Joshua? Not at all. Usually you're only engaged to one same person and then you marry them. Yeah. Just write that down. Yeah, it's hard. So in early 2009, Joshua was arrested for pointing a gun at Heather and Heather was finally ready to walk away. Heather allegedly told Joshua she was leaving Florida and taking the kids with her. That seems to be the extent of the love triangle and potentially would have been the end of it all, but then it takes a turn. In February of 2009, Heather is reported missing. A month later in March, Joshua led police to Heather's body after he got caught using her credit cards. Joshua and Amelia had lured Heather to a storage trailer on Amelia's property, telling her that they had money for her. Joshua then held Heather down while Amelia taped her to a chair. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. And this is, this happens so, like not this exact thing, but this happens so often when people try to leave mm-hmm. a terrible relationship. That's why it's so scary when you're like, just leave. Leaving but is the most dangerous thing of the, yeah, uh, most dangerous part of the is. whole relationship. You're stuck. It's, and to, again, it's like two people finding each other, two yes. evil, evil people that connect so and are scary. able to do this. So investigators believe that Joshua forced Heather to sign a document that gave him custody of their two children, which Heather's mother claimed was the money grab so that they could collect welfare checks. The couple then apparently placed a garbage bag over Heather's head and wrapped tape around her neck. Reports say that Amelia tried to break Heather's neck but failed, so Joshua suffocated her. This is torture. It's absolutely torture. Of course, Amelia has said that she's innocent. Get out of here. But in 2010, a jury felt exactly how you did, and they felt Amelia, and they found Amelia Carr guilty, once making her the youngest woman on death row in the United States. Bye, Amelia. Now, 2017, her death sentence was changed to life in prison without parole. That's fine with me. Stay in there. Yeah. Feel free to think about what you did every single day yeah. of your life. Joshua Fulgham was sentenced to life in 2012. Good. Stay there. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's horrific. So heartbreaking. And just like, obviously all murder is so senseless, but oh, completely senseless. Three. Number three on our countdown of crimes for love is the murder of Stephen Beard. Stephen Beard was a self-made millionaire who was shot and killed in his home by an intruder on October 2nd, 1999. And while we quickly find out who pulled the trigger, you may need to judge whether you think the shooter was manipulated by love or acted alone out of jealousy. Ooh, I'll let you know. Are you ready to figure this out? I am. Let's play. Ten years before Stephen was killed, he was a widower who met the new love of his life, Celeste, and married her. Now, he was 69 and she was 32, so they definitely got some looks. Eh, whatever. Even Celeste's twin daughters, Christina and Jennifer, said their mother married Stephen for his money. (laughs) Like, shade. That's real shady. They're just like, yeah, here it is. Spoiler alert, Celeste did not shoot Stephen. A friend of Celeste's, Tracy, confessed to killing him and made a deal with prosecutors. Tracy said she'd testify against Celeste in exchange for a 20-year sentence. Celeste had met Tracy at a clinic where she was getting treatment for depression. They became fast friends. Tracy thought it was more than that. 
The argument was Celeste then manipulated Tracy to kill Stephen and even planned it all out for her. Oh. So this is a wild ride. Yeah, that just took a couple turns right there. I got a little car sick. Yeah. Celeste's lawyers claimed Tracy imagined the entire love affair with Celeste and was emotionally unstable. They claimed Tracy killed Stephen as a, quote, lone act by a lonely and obsessed woman. Hey, yikes. That's, yeah. And then the twins took the stand. Bring in the twins. So Celeste's own daughters. Yes. Okay. Despite being blamed for just wanting to inherit millions if their mother went to prison, in April 2000, they dropped the hammer in court. Oh. One daughter said on the stand that her mother had called her and told her that she was going to have Tracy knocked off. Oh. And then on the stand, she said, quote, the day she told me about Tracy, I knew. You only want someone dead because maybe you put them up to it. And I thought... I know now she's guilty. I mean, if you can hire somebody to kill one person, like clearly you did the same thing. If you can do it one time or even have a thought of it, you definitely could do it before. Exactly. The fact that there was twin daughters on the stand in that last one, just being like my mom did it. That's that's a lot. That, that's a lifetime movie. That really is. I'm yeah. sure it has to be. It has to be. I also right? in the beginning I was like, oh my gosh, this poor woman, and then I'm like, oh, oh my god, okay. Oh, it's the twists and turns in that one. I need to take like a Dramamine. Yeah, seriously. I have motion sickness. And poor Steven. I know. And he kind of gets lost in this whole thing yeah. because it's just such drama around it. It's like he's already a widower, and he then he thinks he meets like the love of yeah. his life, and this is hap- this is what happens. It's so sad. Well, if that was number three, though, I can only imagine. I know what number two is obviously my number one is who boy i can't think of what it is because when earlier when i said i was waiting for one it was the astronaut story i think once you start hearing it you're gonna go oh yeah i feel like you will okay all right let's get into it let's do it two We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of Crimes for Love. At number two is The Lonely Hearts Killers. The Lonely Hearts Killers, aka Martha Beck and Ray Fernandez, met in 1947 when Martha joined a Lonely Hearts Club advertised in the newspaper. Ray sent her a letter, but his plan was to take advantage of her like all of his victims. But then they fell in love and Martha became part of his whole scheme. Wow. Yeah, again, twists and turns. Ray Fernandez had a unique outlook on life. He suffered a serious head injury in World War II that left him bald with serious headaches. So to counter that, he wore a cheap black toupee and convinced himself that he could make women his sexual slaves. I'm failing to see the connection there, but okay. Same, but you know, that's what he was all about. And we're off. In 1946, Ray started his Lonely Heart Scheme. He seduced women, gained their trust, and then robbed them. His first victim was an older woman whose bank account he eventually drained. And then in 1947, it escalated. One of his victims ended up dead in a hotel room in Spain. Jeez. And then came Martha, and the new lovebirds joined forces for evil. Over the next two years, Martha and Ray pretended to be siblings. Ew. (laughs) Weird twist in that all. They seduced, robbed, and murdered women who placed personal ads in newspapers. 
1949, their whole charade came crashing down when Ray targeted a younger woman in Michigan who found them a little too suspicious. She was taking way too long to trust Ray completely, so he couldn't access her money, and Martha got impatient. Uh-oh. The two killed the young woman and her two-year-old daughter and buried them in the basement. Oh! Like, escalation to a whole oh other level. Oh my gosh, I was not ready for that. Now, for some reason, I feel like this does happen sometimes, Ray challenged the police to search the home. And they found the makeshift grave in the basement. He's John Wayne Gacy before John Wayne Gacy. I was just going to say, Martha and Ray, thinking that they wouldn't get the death penalty in Michigan, got extradited to New York. Bye. And on March 8th, 1951, Martha Beck and Raymond Fernandez were executed in the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 crimes for love, the Mercedes murderess. During her trial in February 2003, Clara Harris told jurors she wanted to save her 10-year marriage. She didn't mean to kill her husband. Clara had caught her husband having an affair and confronted him at a hotel. But then she got in her car and sped toward him. He tried to get out of the way, but he did not. It was a case that was all over the news at the time. I remember this. As soon as you started talking about this, I was like, oh, yeah. Everyone remembers this video that Mm -hmm. was around that time. Yep. So a week before he died, Clara's husband, David, admitted he had been having an affair for months with his receptionist at work. The two of them then did something that on the surface seemed pretty healthy. They sat down to talk about their relationship. But... Clara kept notes from their chat, and those notes said David told her she was overweight, dominated conversations, and was a workaholic, and that his receptionist was the opposite. You want your employee to not be a workaholic? Yeah, it's like, that doesn't sound like a good worker. Doesn't at all. He allegedly told Clara that she had prettier hands, feet, and eyes, but that the receptionist was petite and, quote, the perfect fit to sleep with, holding her all night. What is wrong with him? This sounds horrific. That's like abusive. That really is. That's emotionally abusive. Clara responded by quitting her job. She claimed that she had more sex with her husband, cooked his favorite meals, and hired a personal trainer to get into better shape. Girl, just just leave him. She went to a tanning salon and made plans to get plastic surgery. This is all just really sad. Just leave him. And David's affair continued. Of course it did. July 22nd, 2002. Clara got in her Mercedes with David's 17-year-old daughter, Lindsay. They headed to the same hotel where Clara and David were married on Valentine's Day, 1992. Clara walked into the hotel lobby as David and his receptionist were coming out of an elevator, and she confronted them in full dramatic form. Oh, man. Which at this point, I'm like, I kind of get it. That's not even (laughs) dramatic. That's just like you're like like consumed by sadness. Clara then went back outside, though, and got back into her Mercedes, where Lindsay had been waiting. Mm -hmm. This is where Clara said David's death was an accident. She said she got the idea of hitting the receptionist's car to cause some damage. So she said she floored it. Which, like, that's not a good idea. Yeah, bad idea. We can't can't destroy personal property as much as Carrie Underwood told us to. Property damage is like a no-go here. It's it's only going to get you in trouble. And it did. Instead of the car, 
she ran over David, but said she didn't recall hitting him, saying, quote, I think I closed my eyes just before the impact. Clara said that Lindsay screaming snapped her out of it. That's his daughter. Yeah, that's horrible. She got out of the car and David was on the ground, blood streaming from his ears and mouth. Oh, man. And wasn't like his where he was like really far away from the receptionist car? Like it didn't really make sense. You know, the video is an interesting video to watch. Yeah, key piece of evidence. It definitely is. Unfortunately. Well, at her trial, Clara's lawyers made the she acted out of sudden passion argument, which like you can't blame them for trying that because it certainly seems that way. And that's what they're getting paid for. Jurors deliberated for eight hours. And when the verdict was read, two jurors reportedly cried. She was guilty of murder. Clara Harris was sentenced to 20 years in prison on what would have been her 11th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Which it's like first the location of the marriage is the hotel. Yeah. And then this. Like, that's that's like you would see that in a movie and it would be too much. And you'd feel like you took it too far. Like, okay. <laughs> that's not real. But it also kind of shows me that it's like that's a sign that that was not a, a relationship meant to be at all. No, no. In 2018, she was released from prison. So Clara's out there. So I would say that number one is number one. Yeah, I mean, I think we could have probably switched number two and number one. See, number two, for me, I agree. It's yeah, like kind of around on the same thing, but I don't, I don't consider that one, quote, for love. Okay, This true. one felt more for love Okay, to me. All Like, right. it was like she was blinded by her love for him. I'll, I'll agree with that. Or infatuation. <laughs> yeah, love or infatuation, you be the judge. But I was looking for that NASA one, and it came to me, so that's really the only one that I was thinking of here. That's, yeah, same here. Um, I guess we could put the Moore's murders on here, because Myra was obsessed with yeah, Ian. Yeah, that's a Brady. good point. I was going to say that. And she really turned into a heinous monster or really didn't turn into one she just he he brought out the heinous monster that was always inside of her we could also probably put the brenda sue schaefer case because um his mistress like pretty much helped him murder brenda so there's a few we could probably do another series of these to be quite honest which is a sad state of affairs for all of us yeah it might be a little depressing but but let's go let's do it well thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another great episode Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which we hope that you do, you can follow us on Twitter at AmorbidPodcast or on Instagram at MorbidPodcast. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. Research by J.K. Heo. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. 
Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify.